0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with Pastor and Teaching Elder Adam Vincent. Bibles open up to Psalm chapter sixteen. Psalm chapter sixteen. The last few weeks, we have been um, specifically looking in the Book of Psalms at the uh, importance of God's Word and. Um, the need for us to know it, to pass it on to others, the need for us to know it in such a way where we are studying and gleaning the truth from it for our own uh, uh, sustenance. And so, um, particularly the last two weeks, we've looked at Psalm 119. And um, longest chapter in the Bible, I never intended for us to cover the entire thing this time around. We'll come back to Psalm 119 In the future, uh, once we finish this uh, series in Psalms, we'll continue to come back to Psalms over the years as we try to cover all of the Psalms at some point. Um, And so we're stepping away from Psalm 119, but the last two weeks particularly, we were looking at Psalm 119 and just the call to to know God's Word and to build our lives on God's Word. Last week, we saw the wondrous Word of God provides us with life-giving comfort and life-shaping counsel as we navigate this world through... um, the difficulties of temptation and opposition. And so uh, I challenged you last week that we don't obey God's word to get him to love us more, right? We don't obey God's word so that he'll like us. Instead, we're told that we are given life so that we can then live in obedience to him. And we talked about the the challenges of knowing God's word because uh, there's a supernatural peace that has to happen, right? Like God has to open our eyes to his goodness in his word. And so We talked about our responsibility. We've got to put our eyes on God's Word, so we have to carve out time in our schedule where we go to God's Word. We put our eyes on it. But then we also need the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us and to open our eyes to see the spiritual things that are contained for us there. And so I challenged you last week as an application piece. Do you need to increase your time that you put your eyes on the Word, or do you need to increase the time that you are praying for God to give you a greater opening into his things in his word, right? So which needs to increase, your time in the word or God's active opening of your eyes to his word? And I told you more than likely, it's you increasing your time in the word because God is very faithful to open our eyes when we put forth the effort to know him through his word. And so hopefully you're thinking through that and, and how that maybe impacts your daily life and how you get into God's word. Today, as we jump to Psalm 16, I want us to, to see what I believe to be the fruit that should be coming out of our time in God's Word. Um, I, I think David gives us the type of mentality and mindset as we see things in God's Word, this is how it directly impacts our daily life. And so we're going to look at Psalm 16 today, and I want to do it um, in a specific way this week, and then next week we're going to have Application Sunday, and then the following week is Easter, and we're going to come back to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Today, I want us to kind of see it from, for lack of a better phrase, the Old Testament perspective. I want us to see it uh, written through David's eyes, right? This This is how it was impacting David as he was thinking through who God is and the impact the Word was having on him. When we jump to Easter Sunday, though, we're going to see how the New Testament scholars used Psalm 16 to help us see that the Old Testament was pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. So that's a big point of emphasis in the New Testament, how Psalm 16 points to the resurrection of Jesus. And we're not going to even get into that today because it's just so much uh, that I felt like it really needed to be Old Testament perspective today, New Testament perspective on Easter Sunday. So we'll come back to Psalm 16, okay? So let's look at Psalm 16 today. Again, we're going to kind of view it uh, initially Uh, From an Old Testament mindset, what was David thinking through? How was David being impacted? How would Old Testament Israel have maybe processed through some of this? And then we're going to see how its greater fulfillment is found in Christ, who who rescues us from the death that's talked about at the end of this chapter. All right, so starting in verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. forevermore. Our summary sentence for today, studying God's word should incite a deeper commitment to God that will also lead to an increase in contentment in this life and an informed confidence about the life to come. Studying God's word should incite a deeper commitment to God that will also lead to an increasing contentment in this life and an informed confidence about the life to come. For our kids, studying the Bible should make us happy to follow God and excited about the future he has for us. Studying the Bible should make us happy to follow God and excited about the future he has for us. Okay, so here's how you know if your Bible study is is accomplishing what God means for it to accomplish. Uh, As we study God's word, as he opens our eyes to his, his power, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, it should lead us into a deeper commitment to him we're gonna see what that looks like, a commitment to him and his people, a disassociation with the things of this world. Our, our commitment to him is increasing because of what we're seeing in his word. Uh, and as we're committing ourselves more to him, it's also leading us into an increasing state of contentment about what he is giving to us in this life. And we're also having this informed confidence, so not just a wishful thinking, but an informed confidence about the life to come, which, which also helps shape our contentment now, right? Because we're not, we're not believing that this is the best that we ever experience, right? So there's this informed confidence about the life to come that allows me to be, be content with the life that I have now, okay? So studying God's Word gives us this deeper sense of commitment to God, and it leads to uh, these important things in our life, uh, an increasing contentment and an informed confidence About our future. Now, as we look at Psalm 16, I believe that the beginning section here uh, gives us a couple of key truths that really drive the rest of Psalm 16. It really drives David's mentality about how he's processing through both this life and the one to come. All right, so I want us to see these two key truths that that shape the rest of Psalm 16. It starts with number one: seeing God's power that He's a capable source for refuge. God's power making him a safe or a a reliable or a capable source for refuge. It says in verse 1, "Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge." David is fully committing himself to God. He's going all in on God with no plan B being allotted for. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. The idea being that if good is going to come to David, it is going to come by God. Now in verse 1 there, it says to preserve me, O God. The, the Legacy Standard Bible says keep me. The, the, Christian, the, um, the Christian Standard Bible says protect me. Now, now all three of these um, translations here, the idea of preserving Um, or keeping, or uh, protecting me. It's shepherd language. And so if you were to look at the Hebrew, the original Hebrew word, you could find the word being used in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is when David is getting ready to go and, and have discussions with Saul, and he's trying to work through what's happening with Goliath. It says that David leaves his sheep behind with a keeper, with a preserver, right? So it's this shepherding type language, this idea of watching over me, protecting me, keeping me, preserving me. And so David, who writes Psalm 16, has this mentality because he himself is a shepherd. He himself watches over a flock. He himself keeps a flock, protects a flock, and he's left his flock in the care of someone else when he goes to, uh, to have discussions with Saul, right? So that language should be kind of how we're processing through what he even says here about God. He's saying, preserve me, O God. Keep me, O God. Watch over me. Be my shepherd, right? In the same ways that I have have known what it's like to have to care for a group of sheep, I'm asking you now as a sheep to be my shepherd. Preserve me. Be my place of refuge. He says in verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion. He's my cup. Verse 80 says, I've set the Lord always before me, All right? So David has chosen to commit himself to God and it starts with him seeing God's power or God's ability to be his refuge, right? So, so the concept of God's power, which we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, how, how God's word gives us insight, it doesn't just tell us that God's powerful, it shows us God's power through the stories that it contains. David says, because of your power, God, I'm committing myself to you. You are going to be my place of refuge. He has chosen to put himself in God's hands because he believes that he is, he is cared for and good in God's hands. That's truth number one. Truth number two, God's goodness. God's goodness is highlighted for us here. And the idea being here is that God is only good and he's also the only source for good. He is only good and he's the only source for good and those two key aspects of God's goodness are important for us to realize okay one that god is only good he's only good he's not ever not good so the god that we worship the god that we submit to the god that we follow he is only ever good and then the other piece of it is is that the only good is god Right? So it's not that, hey, we can compare and contrast good God with this other thing of good over here. No, he is only good, and he's also the only good. Right? And that's important for us to know, too, because if we were to ever walk away from the faith or abandon the faith, we are leaving good behind. We may think that we're going gallivanting after good. Right? We know people that leave the faith. We know people that walk away from the church. We know people that abandon Christ. We know people that abandon their families as they abandon Christ. And they go looking for a good that has been unattainable for them in their Christian life. What we've got to remember is that God is only good and that he is the only good. We won't find good outside of him. Right? James 1.17 tells us that every good gift is from above. Every good gift from above comes from God. And there is no variation or change to that fact, right? He is only good and he is the only source for good. Question for you this morning as we're working through this introduction, do we believe that there isn't even a slight sliver of good apart from God and his plans for our lives? Do we believe that? Do we believe that there is not even a sliver of goodness apart from God and his plan for our lives? David did. David, David did. He believed that if any good was to come to him, he would have no goodness unless it came from God. I have no good apart from you. We find God's goodness in the Bible. So we're, we're tying this into what we've already been studying in Psalm 119. Why do we study God's word? Because God's word gives us that goodness. God's word directs us to God's goodness, right? The Bible gives us insight into God's goodness. It gives us insight into what he calls us to in order to experience goodness. He gives us the insight into how to receive his goodness through his word. All of his commands, all of his directions, all of his guidance, all of his, uh, his don'ts are tied to his goodness, right? And so the Bible gives us insight into how to be a part of, of his goodness. Which means really sin is rooted in the idea of looking outside of God's goodness for what we believe to be an alternate or better good. Let me say that again. Sin is rooted in the idea of us looking outside of God's goodness for an alternate or better good. Which means essentially sin is giving into something we think will bring us the good we desire or deserve. It's usually us looking for good things in the wrong way. All right? Think of some examples here. If we're talking about sexual sin, we desire pleasure, acceptance, love, and security. These are all good things, and these are all things that God intends for us, right? But we look for those things outside of God's timing or outside of God's design, and it becomes sin. Gossip, slander, what are we desiring? We're desiring typically significance, importance. We want to matter, right? Talk about dealing with gossip and slander, you talk about middle school girls, right? They talk about each other. They, they, they pull each other down at times. Why? It's typically rooted in their own self insecurities, right? They want to matter and they feel like they don't. And so the best way to matter is to, is to draw attention to other people's flaws, right? We desire significance, importance. We want to matter outside of our identity in Christ, right? So Christ tells us everything that we need to know about ourselves, gives us all the value that we could ever have in ourselves. And yet that's not good enough for us. And so we operate outside of that and we try to find it through another source. Unforgiveness and revenge. What are we desiring? Well, we desire justice. We desire rightness. We desire correction. These are all good things, right? God is a just God and he desires these things too. We should pursue justice, right? But not outside of God's timetable, not outside of God's methods. And so when we take it into our own hands and we seek revenge, well, we're not leaving justice in God's hands, We fall into sin. Greed and selfishness. We desire pleasure, security, possessions outside of God's provision. Or we desire these things more than we desire God. All of this is sin. And it's a way for us to achieve goodness we desire without God, and that's what makes it sin. These things that we're talking about, it's us desiring things that God wants us to have, but we seek to get them without him idolatry then becomes serving that which we believe will bring us that good. So the implication here with these two truths, God's power and God's goodness, my commitment level to God will always be tied to my level of belief in his power and goodness. Your commitment level to God will always be tied to your level of belief in his power and his goodness, right? So if we want to talk about somebody who's kind of a casual Christian, doesn't seem to really be bought into what we, to what we think about when we think about faithfulness and following Christ with your whole heart, right, those individuals, we could do some digging and some interviewing and some investigating and find out that typically there is going to be a lower level of belief in either his power or his goodness, Right? I don't believe he's good enough to be my refuge, and so I look for it elsewhere. I don't believe that he's the only source of goodness, and so I'm looking for it elsewhere. Because think about it. If you believe that he is the best source for refuge and the only source for good, I mean, that drives you to him, right? That drives you to him. It doesn't doesn't allow you to kind of sway and look elsewhere for the fulfillment of this world. No, if I believe that he's my best place of refuge, my best place of protection, and my best place of provision, Man, I'm drawn to him. I'm driven to him. I'm found running to him. How do I get closer to him? How do I get more of that protection? How do I get more of that provision? The casual Christian doesn't believe somewhere either his power or his goodness because that's the ploy that was given to Adam and Eve by by Satan, right? Like sin starts in this manner. that God's not powerful. He's not good. I mean, that that, that was the, the doubt that was created in Adam and Eve's mind by Satan. He's not powerful enough to kill you. He's not powerful enough to do the things that he tells you that he'll do as consequences for your choices. Or he's not good in that he's withholding your best. He's withholding good. And so Satan says, you want good? You step out of his rules and you eat. You step out of his rules and you go explore because that's where real goodness is found. That's the ploy of the enemy and it hasn't changed, right? We've talked about how is sin more difficult? Is temptation more difficult today? Absolutely. But has the method of sin changed today? No. No, the temptation towards our kids and towards our teenagers and towards us as adults, like the ploy behind the temptation has not changed. It's still about do we believe God is good and do we believe he's powerful? The temptation is maybe difficult, maybe more difficult than it ever has been. But remember, God's word is more accessible than it ever has been to. I thought before about how, as my dad was a preacher with me growing up, like I'm thinking about how he studied and how he prepared and I think about how easy it is for me to find answers to what other pastors think about a certain passage. I mean, think about it. Like, when my dad was studying and growing up and preparing for sermon, for when I was growing up and my dad was preparing sermons, he didn't have access to the internet, right? He couldn't just type in John Piper and what he believes about this, or John MacArthur, what he believes. He couldn't just type in a pastor's name and a passage and get immediate answers for what those individuals believed, right? Like, I don't even know how my dad knew what some of these pastors believed. I, I found audio tapes or, or, you know, cassette tapes of sermons from pastors around the, the states that he would order and try to listen to. Imagine the time of him having to go and find those cassette tapes, order those, get them in, and then try to listen to them and, and, and not be able to, like, fast forward and rewind very quickly. I mean, think about how accessible the Word of God is to us today. I can search any pastor that's anywhere near the internet and immediately find out what he believes about a certain pastor. I can learn from all these pastors without paying a dime for it. God's word is more accessible than it ever has been, right? Temptation hasn't changed, it's only increased, but our weapons against it have only increased as well, or at least our accessibility to that weapon. The weapon hasn't changed, the accessibility to it has. It's increased, it's given us a greater awareness of how to fight against this temptation. All right, so these two truths are driving David's mentality here. It's God's power, you're my refuge. It's God's goodness, there's no good without you, right? So therefore, I am running to you. It's those two truths that drive our next three points. Number one, let God's word incite your commitment. Let God's word incite your commitment. Again, the more time we're in God's word, the more stirred up we should be Towards him. So our commitment level should increase because of the time that we're spending in his word. First off, we're going to see my commitment to God is seen through my increasing fellowship with the saved. Look what he says in verse 3 As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. One chapter before this in Psalm 15, verse four, it says about the godly man. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. A vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. One way that we know that somebody is truly a Christian is how they love the brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're seeing this in 1 John. I mean, it's one of the tests as to whether you're a believer or not. Look particularly at the chapter that we're studying this month in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Most of us read this at C Group this week. Those that haven't met yet will read it on Wednesday. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is a sign as to whether you're a believer or not. Do you love other believers? For our our youth, because I think this is Maybe less of a temptation for us as, as adults, I don't know. But, but I know for our youth, it is, it is a challenge sometimes in the choices that we make for our intimate friendships. Who do we spend time with? And as you get older, you get more choice in that sometimes because mom and dad can't keep an eye on you all the time about who you're hanging out with. So I'm really speaking to some of our older kids, our older teenagers who have a little bit more choice in the matter, who they're spending time with before school, after school, during school, who they're sitting with at the lunch table, Right. Do you find delight in being with other people who love the Lord? Do you find delight in that type of person? Because it's real tempting to find delight in the other, right? It's real tempting, especially if you're growing up in a house where your parents are conservative and making conservative choices for you, and you feel like they're choosing things that are different than other people's parents. It is tempting to find delight in the people who get to experience the things that you want to experience and to live through them. It is tempting to find your delight in people who don't love the Lord. And I know that's true for you guys. I know it's true to be tempted in that way. The Bible says if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you find delight in those who love the Lord. Man, when I first got to Mount Gilead as a youth pastor, the very first book that we went through was the book of Philippians. Because the book of Philippians calls the church to be unified, whether they have nothing else in common, whether they have nothing else in common, they are unified because they believe in the same Lord. They believe in the same Lord, right? And I remember as we were walking through with the youth group at Mount Gilead, I kept calling us back to this idea to be unified. Despite all of our differences, we are unified because of the thing that we share in common the most. I mean, our church was built on that truth. It was built on that truth 14 years ago when I got to Mount Gilead, or 15 years ago, whenever it was, and we began to lay the groundwork for this church with the youth that helped plant this church because the idea was we are gonna be unified. We are gonna be unified and love each other because Christ loves us. And I would challenge our youth to buy into that mindset too. Find delight in being with other people who love the Lord. Our commitment to God is seen through that, but number two, our commitment to God is seen through my decreasing fellowship with the lost. Back in Psalm 16, look what he goes on to say. David goes on to say, not only does he find delight in the saints of the land, number or verse four, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Notice what he's saying here. He has the vision to see past the potential success of the lost right now. We've talked about this, right? Lost people seem successful sometimes right now. David sees past the immediate and says, man, their sorrows are only gonna increase, right? We don't maybe hear about hell as much as we we used to, but, but God's word is very clear where the path of lostness leads to, right? The path without Christ leads to eternal condemnation. It leads to hell. It leads to eternal separation from everything that's good right? And David says, I don't really care if they're successful right now. I'm not buying into it because I know their sorrows will multiply. He says, their drink offerings of blood, I'm not going to pour it out. I'm not going to take their names on my lips, right? I don't, I don't think any of our youth or kids have been tempted with, with drink offerings of blood this week, right? Like, And if you have, you need to immediately talk to your parents about that, right? Because you are definitely hanging out with the wrong people if you've been tempted to pour out drink offerings of blood, right? But don't just read that and be like, I don't know what that's talking about. It certainly doesn't reply to me, right? What he's talking about here is the ways that the lost worship, the things that they pursue, the things that are important to them, right? It's the ways that they live their life because that would have been the pagan way of doing things. This would have been their parties. This would have been their their activities that were absent of God, separated from God. And and David says, I'm not going to take part in the things that they do that are sinful. I'm not going to take part in the things that they do that are really given in worship to other gods, right? Again, think about idolatry. It's you looking for goodness outside of God's plan. So think about the things that lost people pursue to find the things that are good outside of God, right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about drink offerings. We're talking about the activities of people who do things outside of God's timing and plan to try to achieve good things. David says, I'm not gonna participate in it, right? You can't run to God for help and safety if you're also making intentional choices to engage with the very things that bring you harm. Let me say that again. You can't run to God for help and safety. He can't be your refuge if you're also making intentional choices to engage with the very things that bring you harm, right? You can't be over here with the the pagan, the lost, and doing these things and then saying, God, help me from this. God, save me from this as I participate in it. No, David says, I'm running from that. I'm running to God, and I'm disassociating with this other stuff. My commitment to God is seen. Through my great refusal to associate with that which is not for God. remember we've said, you can't embrace the experiences found in the book of Psalms unless you're all in with God. David will have nothing to do with these pagan sacrifices. These activities of the lost. He won't worship what they worship, and he won't worship how they worship either. So our youth, again, I'm going to speak to you. Are you worshiping one God in a certain way on Sunday? or when you're around your parents? And are you worshiping different gods in pagan ways throughout the week? Are you chasing acceptance and significance through the conversations you're having and the words that you're using? And I'm horrified by uh, what today's youths are, are, are exposed to that's leading them into conversations earlier and earlier in life, using words earlier and earlier in life, or at least hearing words earlier and earlier in life. I can't, I can't even remember. So I obviously heard cuss words growing up on TV, movies. Like that That wasn't necessarily um, something that, that I'd I never heard, right? I don't really think that I heard cuss words used by real people, people that weren't on a TV, Right? I don't think I heard my first cuss word until until maybe I was maybe I was in college. Right? Like it just wasn't common. Now I know I went to a Christian school, but I'll be honest with you. I went to a Christian school that was full of these casual Christians that were talking about people that that weren't really bought into God's goodness or God's power. They were they were growing up in church, they were they were calling themselves Christians, but I mean they weren't I was one of those people to be honest with you. Right? So it wasn't like I was just walking around with holy people all the time and and that's why I went Right. There, there's there's something about how we've talked about that temptation increasing, right? The, the the access that is being given, whether they have a cell phone or not, it's coming through the cell phone. And, and and news flashy for kids don't have a cell phone, they're still seeing cell phones, and they're still having access to cell phones, even if it's not one that you've given to them, right? And it's my only explanation for why the the type of words and conversations are happening younger and younger and younger, because they're seeing in their minds real people using it. It's not just movies. It's people that they know that are posting things, using this stuff and saying, hey, I guess that's cool to do. I guess that's what we're supposed to do now. And so this is the way I'm gonna talk, right? For our youth, man, you have to get away from that. Like, don't don't pour out the drink offerings of blood like some of the people that you see doing. David says, I'm gonna run from that. My commitment level to God, he's my refuge. He's my goodness. I'm not gonna pursue acceptance by talking like somebody else and thinking that that'll give me what I want. I'm not gonna do it. David says, I'm gonna gonna run from that. I'm not gonna chase after it. In fact, you read, and we won't take the time, but you read Exodus 23, 13, and Joshua 23, six through seven. Both of those passages talk about not even talking about these gods of the pagans, right? Like, that's why David mentions this here, that I'm not gonna even take their names on my lips. Why? Because God said not to. And when Israel went chasing after these gods, God said, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna take the name off your lips. I'm gonna take it away. It shouldn't even be on our lips, the concepts of the activities of the lost. How do we increase our commitment to God? How do we get away from that? We have to be in God's word. So so youth, don't just listen to me as your pastor saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I know it's not easy, and it's not going to be an overnight thing. You have to be in God's word to be changed. You have to be in God's word for your commitment level to God to increase get in his word, put your eyes on the wondrous works of God and let him change you by opening your spiritual eyes. And it'll translate to a different lifestyle. Number two, let God's word increase your contentment, right? It incites our commitment, it increases our contentment. Look at verse five. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. All right, so look at these words that aren't familiar to us probably. The word portion, the word lot, the word lines, and the word inheritance. Those aren't common words that we use, right? What is is it talking about, and why is David using them? Well, the background context for this is these are the type of words used when the promised land was divided up to tribes and to families within those tribes right? So they come in and conquer Canaan, and God says, here's where the tribes are going to be settled, and here are the dividing lines, the property lines, basically, for the people of God. And so tribes are given different places to live. We we know the Levites are not even given any of that, right? They're told that the portion for them is the Lord, so they're not going to be given land like the rest of the tribes. But that's the language and what's being used here. Your portion, your lot, your lines, and your inheritance. That's the context for why, why David is using this, okay? So let's look a little bit closer at what he's saying here then. Number one, my contentment with God is seen as I trust him with what remains unknown. He starts by saying, God, I trust you with the unknown. He says in verse five, the Lord's my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot, All right? He's saying, I'm trusting you with what I don't know. Psalm 73, These are things that have yet to be revealed in his life. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever, okay? David chooses the Lord as his portion or as his cup. Essentially, he is trusting God with the contents to be poured out in his life. You ever been to to somebody's house, or maybe people have come over to your house and you say, um, hey, we're, we're having dinner, hey, what do you want to drink? Some people respond to that with, whatever you have is good. I don't know if you're that type of person. I'm not that type of person, right? I don't necessarily want whatever you have, Okay. Like I'm pretty picky about the things that I'm going to drink. Okay, um, even if you say you have sweet tea, if I don't know you that well, I might just say, "How, hey, take some water," because sometimes people trick you and they put things in their sweet tea. Like you might you might get a glass and it's like peach sweet tea. It's like that's not what I asked for, and that's not what I felt like you were asking if I wanted. Right? Like you, you've seasoned it with something that mm, no, right? So I'm never the guy that says whatever you have is good for me, right? Some people are like that. Some people don't care and think that whatever you have is gonna be good. It's not that I don't think that you're a good person, but I don't trust your goodness with my cup, right? So I'm gonna say, if you've got Coke, hey, definitely, right? If you have sweet tea, depends on if I know you well enough, right, pretty safe with water, right? David's saying, you're my cup, right? I'm trusting you with the contents of it. You're my lot, and I don't know what the result of it is yet, right? He says, I trust you with it, though. I trust you to be my cup. He's content with whatever you have for me to drink, Lord. Your power and your goodness give me assurance to trust that cup. He says, I I trust you with it. You're my cup, you're my portion. Whatever you're gonna pour out in my life, I take it, I want it. The unknown he trusts the Lord with, but number two, his contentment with God is seen as he trusts him with what becomes known. Because look what he says in verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. As the plot lines become clearer, we find contentment in the one who planned our lot. As the plot lines become clearer, we find contentment in the one who planned our lot. And my acceptance of my lot lines, my property lines, is tied to my resolved assurance that he's only good and he alone is the only good, right? I can accept my property lines because he is good and he's only ever good and he's the only source for good, right? Um, man, we went over to James's house the other night. I've been to James's house before, but he had never taken me to the back part of his property, right? So we, we, we walked back there. And James was like, here's where my property lines are. And we, we were looking at like the white, the white posts that kind of indicate where his, where his property ends. And then James was like, but look at everything else that is accessible to me. And he, sh- he started showing me that, like, the rest of this land behind his house that he doesn't have to pay for or keep up or anything. But it's like this it's, it's unowned property that's unbuildable. And so we're back there exploring with Michael and there's, there's, creek, there's a creek back there. My kids are, like, in love as soon as we walk back there. I mean, Abram's pulling crawdads out of the creek, like, immediately, right? And then James is like, and this isn't and all, right? He's like, you keep walking this way, and, it, like, it feeds into this pond where we can fish. And I'm like, James, do you realize that you are paying for, like, an acre or less, and you have access to, like, 20 acres of property that you're not paying taxes on, right? You don't have to upkeep. Like, it's just here for you. It's just here, it's just provided for you. I said, don't ever leave this place. Like, like, I'm trying to find this type of setup where I buy, like, a little bit of property and then somebody doesn't care if I'm on their property behind that little bit of property, right? And I said, James, you have this for free and I can't buy this right now, right? Like, his property lines have fallen in good places. Good places because, one, he, he can afford what he has right here and then he gets access to all this other stuff, Right? That's what David says. He says, look, my property lines are falling in a place that I am completely content with. I'm completely content with this. Now, don't lose sight of this and think, well, of course David would be content, right? He's the king of Israel. Right? He's got everything. Of course he's fine with those plot lines. Who wouldn't be fine with those plot lines? But David also uses this language when he's talking to Saul, and he's talking about how he has been pushed out of the physical inheritance, the physical property, the physical lot lines. He said, I've been on the run and I've had to vacate. So what he's saying here is he's not saying, hey, thank you for my physical property. Like the lot lines that you've given me are awesome. No, he's saying the circumstances that you've given me, I'm content with. I'm totally content with the circumstances that you've blessed me with. That they're my circumstances you've chosen them for me and here's how he can be content with it because if I believe that you were only ever good and that the only good comes from you I, I have to find contentment with that right I have to believe that it's good and I have to believe that if I were to leave and go try to find something better I wouldn't because you're the only source for good let me ask you this and we're going to wrap up quickly think about the one thing you don't have in this life that you would choose to have if given the choice think about the one thing in this life that you don't have and if you were given the choice you would choose this for our single people it could be a spouse for our married couples without children it could be a baby It could be a job that you want that would pay you more. It could be a job that you want that you would like. It could be anything. And here's what David is saying. David's saying, if you never give it to me, it must not be good for me. If you never give it to me, it must not have been good for me. I was thinking about the conversation that... uh, Susan has with Mr. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? And they're talking about Aslan's safety, right? And so they're talking about him being a lion. Is he a safe lion? And, and no, he's not safe, but he's good. But I kind of reimagine that conversation in the context of what we're talking about today. So here's what I kind of wrote down. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is the giver of all good things. Oh, said Susan, he sounds like a genie. I shall feel rather excited meeting a genie and asking him for all of my wishes. Genie, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about giving you what you want? Of course he doesn't give you all you want because all you want isn't always good for you. No, he isn't a genie, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Do you find delight in the ways that God cares for and blesses you? Are you content with your lot lines? Are you content with your plot Are you content with him being your cup and him putting whatever he chooses in it? You're willing to drink that. You are if you believe in his power and his goodness. You can trust him that he's going to only put good in that cup. He's always working for your good. Number three, let God's word inform your confidence. Let God's word inform your confidence. Verse seven, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. <laughs> Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My confidence is tied to what he promises me in the present. My confidence in my future is first tied to what he promises me in the present. In verse 7, he says, he will give us counsel. He will instruct our hearts. Some translations say minds, right? So the more that we're in the word, we're getting counsel from the word. It's shaping our hearts and minds. Even at night when we sleep and we're trying to fall asleep, our hearts and minds are being instructed not by our fears, but by his word. David says, I've set the Lord always before me. He's my guiding light. He's the one that is leading me. He's at my right hand. He's my advocate. I shall not be shaken. That's the present tense. And he says, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh is secure. Why? Because I know what my future looks like. You're not going to abandon my soul to shield. You're, you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. Number two, my confidence is tied to what he promises me for the future. All right, he's confident because he keeps letting the word shape his understanding of today's events in the present, and then he's not going to be abandoned to the grave. He's not going to have just this life and this flawed attempt at life be his greatest joy. He says, no, you're not going to abandon me. You're not going to let me see corruption. We believe on the basis of Christ's resurrection that we will not be abandoned to the grave as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if we only have this, hope, this, this life to hope in, then we should be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 talks about us being changed and resurrected just like Christ. The hope of the future gives me the ability to enjoy today without treasuring today, right? The hope of the future gives me the ability to enjoy today without treasuring today. Why? Because verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This isn't all there is. When he comes back, there is far more to come. Man, don't look at your lot and your plot lines and think, this is the best his goodness has for me. No, it's, it, it's what his goodness is for you today. It's what his goodness is for you in this life. But his pleasures are forevermore. Man, what you will enjoy pales in comparison to any lot lines here on this earth, right? I and mean, we're gonna be with him forever. We're gonna be with him forever. That's our hope that's where we'll pick up in a couple of weeks when we look at the resurrection of Christ and how the resurrection of Jesus validates everything that we're longing for here in Psalm 16. Because he is back from the dead, it gives us the confidence in God's power. It gives us the confidence in God's goodness that we need to be content and to be confident with our future, which allows us to be committed to him today. Our application questions as we leave. Number one, am I reflecting on his power and his goodness enough to keep me close to him? Am I reflecting on his power and his goodness enough to keep me close to him? Because if you're doing this, if you are in God's word and you are seeing his power and his goodness, then you will run to him for refuge. You will leave the pagan drink offerings of blood and you will run to him, you will fellowship with his saints. Are you reflecting on his power and his goodness enough to keep close to him. Number two, am I viewing my life and my circumstances like property lines assigned to me that I should not try to move? Here's what's cool, and we won't take the time to look at this, but in Deuteronomy 19:14 and in Deuteronomy 27, 17, God tells them, don't you dare move the boundary lines. He says, I'm assigning you where you're going to be in my promised land. He said, don't move them don't move those lines. Man, everybody's property looked different in the promised land, right? People could have gotten very selfish in saying, man, that guy's property is better than mine. I want to move that property line. No, God says don't move it. Don't move it. Trust me to be your cup. Trust me to be your lot. Trust me to let the lines fall where they need to for your life. He's not a genie who gives us everything that, he want, that we want. Thanks be to God he's not that because everything we want is not good for us, right? He is good. He is good, and he is the only source for good. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for the truth of this passage. Lord, help our commitment to you to increase the more time we spend in your word. God, give us a desire to be in your word, especially if we see our commitment level to you waning, especially if we doubt your goodness, if we doubt your your power. God, drive us to your word. Open our eyes to your wondrous things so that we will be more committed to you, so that we will run to you to be our refuge. God, give us contentment with our life's lot today. Our lives all look different. We're working different jobs. We're making different amounts of money. We're driving different cars, living in different houses with different property lines. We've got different sized families. And God, you've chosen to do all that for specific reasons that we may never understand. God, help us to be content with the life that you've given to us. Help us to trust you to be the cup and the lot that we need. Lord, help us to have this, this freedom that says, whatever you have for me to drink, I'm good with that. God, help us to be confident in the fact that, that our future hope far exceeds what we're experiencing today. That when you come back, it's pleasures forevermore. That, that the pleasures we're trying to experience now, it's tainted by time. God, when we find something that we enjoy doing, it's over so quickly sometimes the vacations that we go on, we love them and we enjoy them and then they're over and we're back working and toiling and laboring. God, the pleasures forevermore that you promised, they won't be constrained by time. They won't be limited and hindered by sin. God, we long for the the future. We long for you not to abandon us to this life or the grave. God, give us an informed confidence that allows us to make decisions today that are committed to you and content with you, knowing that you're coming back we can rejoice and hope in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.savhope.org Again, that's www.savhope.org.